You are listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be on the screen. There's some in the the, uh, foyer if you want to grab a hard copy. We are in our third week of our Advent series. We've called it Behold. It's the Greek word adu. You see it all throughout the Bible, Old Testament and New. And it's used when the narrator wants to draw you in. And it just means see, look, behold, perceive. And what we want in this Advent season uh, is is that we would look back, that we would behold uh, aspects of who Jesus is, what he's done uh, in his first Advent, his first arrival is all the word means, so that we expect and have a, a longing for something better. And 2020, that's not hard. Like an expectation that something better is coming when Christ returns. And so week one, we, we looked at, behold the promises and there's hope in that. And last week we beheld the king. We saw him. He brings peace. He's the Prince of Peace, peace in life, peace with God. Today, the third week of Advent is a little different, right? And I don't know how many of you are perceptive and you see, but there's a, a, a different color candle was lit. It's not because we're like, oh man, we're out of purple. We gotta get, okay, what do we got? We got a pink. Okay, we'll light the pink. It's actually a different color candle on purpose, all right? Uh, and it's actually got a name for today. There's actually a name. Now, I didn't grow up in high church. You know, some of you guys grew up in higher church. Advent was a thing you did. There's no verse in the Bible, celebrate Advent. It's not a, quote, Bible, you know, command. God so loved the world, he gave his only son, so celebrate Advent. That's not it. But what the church did to remember and have seasons and rhythms where they were consistent is they created this season. And, and, and we started doing this several years ago uh, as a church. And, um, and, and for the first, really, I guess, 10 years or however long we've been doing that, uh, I've been doing something, I've missed something about today, right? I've been mispronouncing what it's called. And so this is, this is the name of what today is. And for years and years, I've been like, it's Gaudet Sunday, y'all. Like I'm from Statesboro or something, right? It's Gaudet. Let's go to Zaxby's and go Gaudetting. Right? Okay, that's kind of where I've been. And I appreciate all you high church people that have been wrong for a long time. And knew that I was acting like a fool. And you said nothing for years and years. You're like, Gaudet, what is that? Because the proper pronunciation, where's my high church people, is what? Okay, is nobody in here who's a Methodist or Episcopalian or Presbyterian? Okay, okay, it's, it's Gaudete. Three syllables, not two. Now here I am all, Gaudet. And, and it's, I've been missing something so simple for all this time. I didn't take Latin in high school, so I didn't know, right? I, did, I actually took it in middle school one year. Didn't do well. I got E pluribus unum. That's all I got, right? That's all I got out of it. Um, but it's a word, gaudete. That means to rejoice. It's kind of imperative. Y'all, rejoice, right? That's, that's what today is about. The third Sunday of Advent is about joy. And so we light a pink candle. Now, why pink and joy are together? I wasn't on that committee 400 years ago. They got in a room, you know. All right, who wants to vote on this, right? We know that, that black and red don't bring joy, so we know those aren't options for the, for the candle, right? All right, but, but why pink? Some of you took a little longer to get that joke. I'm oh, sorry. Why pink? I don't know. But here's what I do know. For years and years, I've been gouted, gaudate. I've been mispronunciating the thing, putting the syllable on the wrong syllable, um, and yet I know, I know that we have a different candle. I knew the name. I, I knew what it was about, but I was missing something so simple. Uh, 
this whole time. And here's what I, what I think for us. I don't want us to come in and sing all the songs, joyful, joyful, we adore thee, you know, uh, joy to the world. I don't want to do all the things and be missing something so simple. What? Missing the actual joy, <laughs> right? Talking about the story, reading through the Bible, reading through the narratives and actually missing the point and be all God at when we should be Gaudete. And so I want to talk a little bit about that today as we behold, we've beheld the promise, we've beheld our King. I want to behold our Savior and see how that leads us to joy. And I want to highlight just a couple things, three things uh, that I think for us so that we don't miss joy as we behold the Savior. Uh, I'm going to read a familiar text. You've, if you've been in church, any, if you're kind of new to the church, maybe you've never heard it. If you've been in church in any amount of time, you've heard this text. Here's my prayer for us, that you would hear it with new ears. Because it's easy to go, you know, to hear a story. Oh, God, I know this one. You could probably preach it better than me, right? But there's just some narratives in the Bible. It's just like there's some books you come back to and you read them again. And even though you know it's gonna happen, you love them. Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit, anything C.S. Lewis, Chronicles of Narnia. Because it's so good, The Godfather. It doesn't matter when it's on. It's on TNT, it takes seven hours to watch it. You watch the whole thing, why? It's so good. This is one of those narratives you come back to and you're just like, okay. And I want you to see it, hear it with fresh eyes. I'm gonna try my best to get you in the, in the story, but I'm flawed. So just, you, gotta, you gotta come along with me. Don't sleep on it. Kind of imagine, because we have sanctified pictures of what's going on here and it's not so clean, but yet there is joy. So let me read our text, all of it, and then we'll come back and unpack it. Verse 18, chapter one. Remember last week we had a genealogy that was real exciting for us, right? This is where he picks up right after the genealogy. Now, the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus Christ took place in this way. And just pause. This is what we were expecting last week. This is how I would have started the book, right? That, that's what, that, I, I want to tease something great. This is how the birth of the Messiah took place. That I want to listen to. This is how the genealogy is, not so much. But he, he jumps in. This is how it took place. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, there it is. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, there it is again. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Joseph woke from sleep. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. So put yourself in the place of Israel, 5 BC, 4 BC-ish. They've been waiting for over a millennium for their Messiah that was promised, even longer from Genesis 3, which Clint talked about the first week, that the seed of a woman crushed the head of the serpent. Thousands of years waiting, longing, and now it's been 400 years since God's spoken at all because Malachi was the last prophet of the Old Testament and he, he's been silent for 400 years. And here they are. They've gone from uh, servants of, of Babylon, servants of the Median and Persians, the Greek empire. Now they're servants and occupied by Rome. And they've been hearing about this Messiah and they've been longing for a Messiah and they've been waiting for a Messiah. And finally, here comes Matthew and says, this is how it happened. 
this is what it looked like. What kind of expectations do you think those people had for that Messiah? This is how the birth of the Messiah took place. If I was them and I've been waiting and waiting and longing and crying out for years, I'm thinking I'm, I got big dreams. I got a mighty warrior, a, a conquering king, uh, a, a just charismatic leader. It's the kind of person that, you know, John Williams writes a score for him. Da, 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 and he comes and there he is. It's like Captain America. That's the expectation. That's not what they get. That's not how it reads. Again, verse 18, the birth of the Messiah, of Jesus the Messiah took place this way. When his mother Mary and Joseph had been betrothed. Now, we hear Mary and Joseph and we know, right? We've been in, you know, our our three-year-old was Mary in the play. We were so excited. She had the little Cabbage Patch kid and and we know Joseph and we know the shepherds and we got the, you know, your kid is super gifted. They end up as the the Magi, right? Right, we know these names. Put yourself in their place. They don't know them. They have no clue. Mary, they're like, Mary, Joseph, wait, stop. Okay, who's Mary? Who's Joseph? Are they, are they royals? Not, not so much. Are they rich? Mm, no. Are they influencers? You know, that's kind of a big word, 2020, the influencers. Uh, no, no. Well, who are they? Well, Joseph, he went to Nazareth Technical Institute, and he now works as a uh, kind of carpenter, stone, stone worker who fixed plows in, in a little town. Uh, and, and Mary, she's in the ninth grade at Nazareth High School. Because remember, in that day, typically a young woman was married between 13 and 15 years old. Anybody have any 13, 15 year old girls in here? Raise your hand real Okay, a couple of you. There's the mother of Jesus. All right. And don't miss, uh, Nazareth High School. Did you say they're from Nazareth? Like Nazareth, not even big enough to have a dollar general, Nazareth. Uh, the Nazareth, like that Philip, the disciple, when he hears Messiah came from Nazareth, says, can anything good, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Bloomingdale? I mean, really? That's the idea. But Bloomingdale is a metropolis compared to Nazareth. So that's where it starts. And it just goes downhill from there. Right? It just goes downhill. Look what it says. They, they're betrothed. And that day, the engagement, marriage engagement was not like today. It was not every kiss begins with K, put a ring on it. Woo, let's tip a date. Okay, it wasn't that. It was a legal contract where they were technically legally married in the sight of the law, but the guy and the girl did not come together for the honeymoon until the man spent about a year getting his house ready. He's got to save up a bunch of money. There's a lot of jokes to be said there, but I won't go there. All right, but he's got to save enough money to be married to a woman. And then he comes finally one day and picks up his wife and then they consummate the marriage and they're married. And that day they were legally married, but separate until he comes and gets her. The only way to break off that marriage is not not get cold feet, not take the ring back to to Kay. It's to go to the court and actually get a legal document of divorce. That's the only way to break it. So they're actually married legally, but they haven't come together yet. And here's where the scandal begins. It says before circle that word in your Bible, underline it. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And you can just collectively hear the first century say, gasp, (gasps) before. I mean, this is country town, conservative values, scandal. In a town of 200, 300 people where everybody knows your grandmother and your auntie and all your business I mean, this is going to rock Nazareth. This is on the front page of the National Enquirer of Nazareth. 
scandal, right? Scandal. And again, we know, we know it's from the Holy Spirit, right? We get the, we get the insight. They don't even know what the Holy Spirit is. They don't have the, the Nicene Creed and the, you know, Athanasius and these guys are right. They don't know what that is. The Holy Spirit is present in the Old Testament, but it's, it's really further revealed in the New Testament. They don't, they don't have any idea, Right? And, and follow, here's kind of big picture of what's going on here. This is what I want you to see. When you put Matthew's gospel and Luke's gospel on top of each other, you get a bigger picture. Matthew focuses on Joseph. Luke focuses more on Mary. So if you go back, Mary's narrative is actually takes place before this. Uh, Mary's in the house one day, Luke 2, Luke 1. She's doing chores. Maybe she's doing her algebra. I don't know. She's doing something. And the angel Gabriel shows up and basically says, gender reveal, it's a boy. And she's all like, what? And he's like, yep. And then she says, I'm the servant of the Lord. And what she does next is she leaves home for three months. I mean, three, for six months. Oh, excuse me. She leaves for three months. She leaves home and, and Nazareth and goes and visits her cousin, Elizabeth, who is super old grandma age, but she's got a baby miraculously. And that baby's name is John the Baptist. And as soon as Mary comes in and says, Elizabeth, John the Baptist starts doing triple lindies inside her mama. And she says, blessed are you most women. Right? And then she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. We sang it earlier this, week, this uh, month. And, and they have this great celebration because uh, Elizabeth is prophesying and Mary is worshiping. And it's a beautiful picture. Mary stays there for three months until Johnny B is born. She's got to go home eventually. And she goes home. And this is when Matthew's narrative says, before they came together, she was found. It's in the passive voice. It wasn't, she told everyone, I'm having a boy. Baby shower, everybody, we need diapers. It was, she's found. She comes back and they're like, Mary, you put on a few LBs? <gasps> Mary, right? And this is where we find, you know, the cleanliness of our like picture of this deal. Think about how her parents are responding. Think about, I'm, I didn't say, but they, she had to have a convo with, jo- with Joseph at some point, right? I mean, do you, and you know, Here's this innocent girl. I mean, maybe she's explaining it. Maybe she's not. But I mean, you think her parents are buying an angel and the Holy Spirit. You think Joseph's buying that story? I mean, this, this, you think, where's the joy for Joseph? Here's a guy, good dude. I mean, he had never, he's not going to be, you know, rich. He's not going to be a millionaire, but he had dreams for his life. Here's this sweet girl he's going to marry. They're going to have kids together. They're going to have a family. I mean, they're going to live in Nazareth. They're going to do this thing. I mean, you know, he didn't have expectations to be a bazillionaire, but he, he had dreams and aspirations and hopes like everyone else. And in a moment, not a lot of joy there, right? Not a lot of joy. But yeah, he's a good man. And so verse 19 says, her husband, notice he's her husband. He's legally married. They haven't consummated, but he's legally married. He's a just man. He's a righteous is what the word means. He's he's a law abiding. He keeps the Mosaic law. And as someone who keeps the Mosaic law, he's got three options, really three choices. Door number one, he can marry her. He can go through with the wedding. But if he does, what does that mean for him? What's everyone gonna say? Well, Joseph, we know why you sent her away now. Yeah, we get it. You're just as evil as she is. And you're a little town of 200 people. You're the handyman of town. Who wants him to fix? Who wants to be their plow to be worked on by the adulterer? Not me. I'm not associating with him. What's it do to his rep if he marries her? That's option number one. Option number two is he can make it, you know, like Jerry Springer, uh, get on in front of everybody, declare his innocence. I'm innocent. She's an adulterer. Put her on public trial. Shame her. Embarrass her. He can do that. 
Door number three, he can write her a certificate of divorce, do it quietly, keep it as low profile as possible. That way she's not ashamed. I can spare her the, the, the trouble. Maybe she can move with her cousin. Maybe she can move to another town where no one knows her. And at least maybe she can have a life because she's not gonna have one in Nazareth, not as a single mom. And he's wrestling and he, and he, and he, sought, he chooses door number three. He's going to divorce her quietly because he cares about her because he's a good dude. He's not vengeful, right? But as he's considering, verse 20, I love this. He's considering, he's still thinking about these things. He's wrestling. And you imagine all the voices, his parents, you better not bring that girl into our house. His buddies, she did you wrong, Joe. You better, don't, don't be, you're not on our bowling team anymore. You, you bring her into this deal. She's not welcome with us. All these voices, all this stress, all this anxiety. What am I gonna do? All these dreams shattered. And, and in my sanctified imagination, I picture he's got the papers on his desk and he, he's, wants to sign him, he doesn't know what to do. And he's just in his weariness, he falls asleep. And as he falls asleep, what does Matthew do? He brings you in. Behold, an angel of the Lord appears to him in a dream. One of four dreams Joseph has where God speaks to him in this book. And he says to him, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. I love that language. I mean, the angel could have showed up and said, Joseph, son of David, marry her, right? Marry her. But he doesn't. He says, do not fear. Do not be afraid. Why? Because I think the natural response when we have expectations, when life's going this way, when everything's going the way we think it is or what we think it should go, and then all of a sudden, what is, the, what is the natural response? It's to freak out, it's to spaz, it is to be afraid, it's to function in fear. The, the boss says, I need you to come to my office today. I'm sorry, we are downsizing. We have to lay you off. What's the response? What are we gonna do? Christmas, right? When you're uh, married and it's been seven years and there's still no kids and you finally go to a doctor and you hear infertile. What are we going to do? How are we going to, what are we going to function? How, what's this going to look like? Right? Uh, you're driving down the road, going to grandma's and you hear something fall out of the car and you realize it's your transmission. How are we, we going to pay for that? Right? When you're trying to get into this grad school or this school and you get that letter in the mail and you open it up and you're so excited and it says, waitlisted. And you had all these plans and you had our apartments and you had everything. What are you going to do? Right? You've been dating this person for four years. You thought he, she was the one and they come to you one day and say, it's not you, it's me. What are you gonna do? How do you respond? Right? One of the biggest joy killers in the Christian life is fear. It's fear. Because you can't be joyful and fearful at the same time. And remember, joy is not Happiness, it cannot be. Happiness is, is based on circumstances. And joy cannot be about circumstances because Paul says, rejoice always. That means in everything. And again, I said rejoice. The half-brother of Jesus, James says, consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. So it cannot be linked to circumstances. It just cannot be, Right? It's gotta be something bigger. And so I gave you this definition a couple years ago. I think it's still, still uh, appropriate and helpful that joy 
is a settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life. The joy is the quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right. Joy is, is a determined choice to praise God in every situation. And, and one of the marks of the people of God is not they go to church. They sing Christmas carols. They give money. The marks of the people of God is love, joy, peace, patience. Joy is number two. I mean, Christians are supposed to be like the Disney world of people, the happiest place on earth, the joyful people of the earth. Now, the eight o'clock service, they look miserable today. You guys are a little bit better, but you did get extra sleep, so I don't know. But we are to be the joyful people. And joy cannot be about circumstances and you cannot have fear and joy because fear doesn't know what's going to, what, trust God. The fear doesn't put its faith in something. Joy is something bigger. Settle assurance, God's in control. So it's the confidence everything's going to be okay. It's the choice to worship. Can't have joy in both together if you're ruled by fear. Because you're, not, you're never going to uh, experience the joyfulness of being a cheerful giver. If you are scared, well, how am I going to eat? How am I going to pay the bills? If you're worried about all that, how am I going to retire? You'll never be a cheerful giver. You won't have that joy because you're scared. You'll never know the joy of going all in on Jesus, presenting yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. But if you're, if you're fearful about, well, what, what is that going to mean for me? Does that mean God's going to have me move to Midway? Am I going to have to move to China if I go all in for Jesus? Right? And so you'll never experience that joy if you're afraid. You'll never experience the joy of seeing you be just instrumental in bringing someone to faith in Christ, whether it's through praying or sharing the gospel or inviting them. If you're always so scared about what are people going to think of me if I'm a Bible thumper? If you're always so scared, you'll never experience that joy. You won't see the joy of God using your gifts and how he's wired you and your situation uh, uh, to, to just impact people, to serve people. If you're, what is it gonna cost me? If I volunteer there, what is it gonna cost me? Is it gonna cost my uh, golf game? Is it gonna cost my this? Is it gonna cost my time? What is, if you're afraid of that, you're never gonna experience the joy of deep relationships where you are knowing others and they are knowing you. If there's a fear of what if, what if they know what I really am like? What I'm really struggling with, what I'm really thinking never experienced those joyful things. Fear is the joy killer. So how do you fight fear? You fight fear. First thing I want you to see today with faith. So we behold our savior. We fight fear with faith, right? It's not linked to circumstances. It's linked to something better. There's a assurance that God is in control. There's a quiet confidence that everything is going to be okay. It's, it's faith. And where does faith come from? Well, Paul says that faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ, which is exactly what the angel does for Joseph. He wants to build his faith. So what does he do? He points him to the word of Christ. And so he says, uh, this is what the prophet said. The virgin will conceive. He points him to the prophet Isaiah. He even drops a little hint earlier that this is, a, this is bigger than you, Joe, when he calls Joseph the son of David. Right? Did you notice that? He says, Joseph, son of David. That's not like something that, that when they're calling Roland P.E., they're like, Joseph, son of David, here. That's not, that's not how it worked. I mean, David was hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years earlier. Yeah, he was from Judah in the line of David. But this is not like, yeah, I'm from David. There was, a, there was thousands of people from the line of David living in that day. But the angel is highlighting God's doing something. 
And then he points him specifically to Isaiah and says, this is what the prophet said. Virgin will conceive, have a son. They're going to call him Emmanuel. He is building his faith. And don't think that Joseph's like, oh, yeah, I get it. (laughs) Of course, I understand. I've been waiting for this. Yes, the hypostatic union. Oh, I know. Christ's humanity and divinity in one, hypostasis, right? I get it. Perfect humanity merged with, with undiminished deity. Oh, yes, I've been reading about this in my systematic theology. No, he's, okay. But that doesn't change the fact that my fiance is pregnant and it's not my son and I don't know what's gonna happen. But there can be joy for him and for us, not dependent on circumstances. How? Uh, even when we don't understand what's going to happen, even when we've made plans, remember, we make plans. Man sets his heart for plans, but God establishes his steps. When we have the settled assurance that God is in control, or confidence that he knows all the details, and then we can continue to worship, that's, that's joy. And so my question for us this morning is this, are you living Gaudet or Gaudete? Are you missing the joy in joy? Are you letting fear govern your life? I mean, really. Or are you letting circumstances govern your joy? Right? False expectations. False expectations. Huge. Unreasonable expectations. Some of you that are single, you think, one day I'm going to meet this guy, this gal, and they're going to be better than, they're the best thing since sliced bread. And what are you going to do when you find out, ladies, that he is at, on his best day, a bad saltine cracker. What about those expectations? Expectations that you'd be making X amount of money. Expectations that your kids were gonna do this. I, my, my, I wanted my kid to follow my footsteps and be a doctor or a lawyer or a, a CEO and he wants to be a tattoo artist. What are you, how are you gonna handle that? Right? Are you, are you fearful are you fearful about what people think? This fear of man is huge. And how you fight that fear with faith to, to have joy is if you're so scared of what people think, you gotta, be, you gotta remember, it doesn't matter what others think about you or having to perform for them, that your father who is in heaven is crazy about you. And he doesn't need you to perform. He doesn't have some expectations that you're gonna be perfect and all these things. He loves you no matter what. That's freeing to have joy. If these people only like me when I look this way, when I act this way, when I perform this way, that he never does. You can have joy. Or maybe you're fearful for your kids, all right? We have fearful. I mean, your, your child comes up to you and says, Dad, I think I wanna take a gap year. And you're thinking, like all the rest of us is, that means that he's gonna be 38 living in my basement, playing video games. That's what we think. But do you trust God enough with your family that it's gonna be okay? Really? I mean, do you, that God can do something there? What about with your future? Am I gonna be able to retire? Am I gonna have enough for this? Am I gonna be able to see the grandkids and all these things? Am I gonna do all the things I want? Can I, will I ever be able to stop working? And, and the way we fight that fear with faith is that we seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things be added unto you, right? Or with, you know, all the things going on in America. Look, I, I've only been doing this 14, 15 years, but in my sh- short time, I've never seen fear in the church and in America like I have in the last 12 months. 
fear of COVID, fear of president stuff, fear of, you know, all these things. And I'm not saying we shouldn't take things seriously. And I'm not saying we shouldn't be involved in government. I'm not saying all those things, but true or false, God is sovereign over the United States Senate. Okay. And I'm not saying it's going to land the way you want it to land. What I'm saying is if God can make Nebuchadnezzar do what he did and Caesar Augustus do what he did and Herod Antipas do what he did, surely he can handle 50 senators and a president, right? So what are we afraid of? I mean, in all honesty, your days, not to be morbid, your days were numbered before the foundation of the earth. God knew how many days you were gonna be alive. You can't add one to it. You can eat broccoli every day. You can add one day to it. So why even try? It's nasty stuff. It smells awful. So eat chocolate, not broccoli. I mean, really, what do we, I mean, I'm not saying we shouldn't take care of COVID. I'm not saying we shouldn't wash our hands and wear our mask. I'm not saying all those things, but I'm saying you cannot live in fear of everything. You just can't, because there's no joy there. You're always worried. God is sovereign. You know how you fight that? Joshua 1, 9, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. Why? The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You know, this book starts with God with us, Emmanuel. You know how it ends? God with us. I am with you always, even till the end of the age. If God is with you, if God is for you, who can be against you? So don't let fear steal your joy. That's the first thing. Man, I am running late this service. I told you 11 o'clock, I always go long. All right, second one. Let's, let's kind of unpack 21 to 23 real quick. This is what he reminds Joseph of. She's gonna bury your son, right? And he doesn't ask permission, he's telling him. You're gonna bury your son. It's gonna be a boy, spoiler alert. And you're gonna call his name Jesus. You're not gonna get to choose a name. His name is Jesus. It's the Hebrew name Yeshua or Joshua. Jesus is the is English version of the Greek version, Jesus. This is ultimately, he is named like so many other boys in that day after one of the great heroes of the Old Testament, Joshua. Why? He tells you, he says, you will name him Jesus for, circle that little word, it's explaining why his name will be Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. The name Joshua, Jesus, Yeshua means Yahweh saves. That's what it means. And what they're looking for is salvation from what? Rome. They want to get out of slavery. They want to be out of occupation. They want to have their land back and their lives back and their money back because they're paying taxes through the wazoo. And what they want is a savior who makes their life better who makes them life easier, which is, I think, the same thing, if we are honest, we want. We want God with us to mean, I get a great job. God with us is no conflict in relationships. God with us means never get sick. We may not say it, but I think that's what we want. And that's not the kind of savior he is. They may do that, but he's not the kind of savior who comes and makes your life easy. If anything, he says, take up your cross, your instrument of death, and follow me, right? And, and if you want proof, did the coming of Jesus make Mary and Joseph's life easier or harder initially? Not a trick question. Not a trick question. Much more challenging. So where's all the joy? Here's the joy because this is the kind of savior he is. He's a savior who brings forgiveness. See, the greatest need for us is not a new president. 
It's not for a vaccine. It's not for a a stock market over 40,000. It's not for better schools. It's not for cleaner energy. It is not to be taller, although it is a little bit. The greatest need is a savior. I mean, if, 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 we didn't need, if we need something else, the angel's been, unto you a child is born, unto you a son is given, right? Uh, unto you is born a politician or an entrepreneur or a scientist or a doctor or a great leader who is Christ the Lord. No, unto you is born a savior who is Christ the Lord because you were lost and you were perishing without him. And so your greatest need was a debt that you could never pay. A debt that you never in a bazillion years could ever pay. A sin debt. And Jesus pays it. It was stamped. Tetelestai. It is finished. Paid is full. That's what you have in this Savior. I don't know if you saw the story a couple years ago. Tyler Perry up in Atlanta. Medea, for some of you. Uh, Medea went into uh, one of the Walmarts in Atlanta and he paid off all the layaways that people had had before Christmas, like a half a million dollars worth. Super generous. Love the guy. He's awesome, right? And so you imagine, man, maybe you put a big screen on, on you know, layaway because you're trying to save it for Christmas for your family and you go in one day and it's like, hey man, paid in full. Take your big screen. And be like, what? I was about three, right? Or a set of tires or, or whatever that you just couldn't afford at that time. It was a debt you could pay. Or imagine someone after church today says, I want to pay off your mortgage for you. If you want to do that, you're welcome to do that, any of us. I want to pay off your car. I want to pay off your college loans, your credit card debt, your medical debt, the business loan you took out 10 years ago. How you respond to that? I mean, you'd be, you'd be pretty stoked, right? Be some joy, be some happiness. But here's the thing. Those are all loans, debts that you probably will pay off or have paid off, right? Paid off your college loan, took you 10 years, take you 50 years, whatever. Pay off your uh, house, some of you paid off your house, you're like, woo. I mean, those are all debts that you actually could pay off even over some time. This is a debt you could never pay, ever. And Jesus paid it all. Though your sins were scarlet, they'd be whiter than snow. That's what he's done. But beyond that, not only has he wiped clean the fact that you were his enemy, that you, that you hated him. You say, oh, I never really hated him. You hated him. You were his enemy. He, you were an object of his wrath. He not only forgives everything you have done, then he says, hey, and I want you to come live with me. I want you to be my brother, my sister. I want to share all my stuff, all my glory, and I want to live with you forever. Now, as great as Tyler Perry was, he did invite everybody from the Walmart to come live with him. Come up to my mansion. Drive my Ferrari, my Lamborghini, eat my food. Hey, I'm going to change your last name. We'll call you Perry now. Last name Perry. He didn't do that. That's what God does. Makes you a child of God. See, that is the source of joy. That is the source of joy. That you are the object of his love, that you are his family, that you are secure. See, repentance and joy and forgiveness are all tied together. Because when you know that you, the, your greatest need has been met, the greatest need that you could never met, then do you think you can have the settled assurance that God can take care of whatever when your greatest need has been met? That you can have confidence, that you can even worship in that? That's the point. That's what Jesus has done. That's what beholding the Savior is. And joy and forgiveness are linked constantly through the Bible. Even in heaven, when one sinner repents, Jesus says what? Heaven has a party. And on one occasion, I love it. I've mentioned to you before because this is such a great reminder. The disciples are out and they're healing and they're casting out demons and they're pretty impressed with themselves. 
And they come back and be like, did you see that, Jesus? That was pretty awesome. And he says, don't get so excited about that. Don't rejoice that the demons are listening to you and they can do all these cool things now. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Because forgiveness and joy go together. And I don't want us to gaudet it. I want to gaudete. I want to rejoice. And that your greatest need right now is met in Jesus the Savior as you behold him. Fight fear with faith. Forgiveness of sins. Rejoice. And here's the last one. Is that we follow. Real quick. Um, notice this. Faith. Forgiveness. That was for you Baptists. I give you one every once in a while. Three Fs. There you go. But they, they follow. He follows. Look what Joseph does. Verse 24. Joseph woke from sleep. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son and called his name Jesus. Everything he was told to do, he follows. He wakes up. He's not like, man, I think I had some bad sushi from the Sea of Galilee. Never doing that again. What does he do? He humps it down the road. He knocks on Mr. and Mrs. Mary's door. Where's my wife? Come on, Mary. Picks her up. And I'm sure they're like, you sure? Once she's out the door, she's yours now. He takes her as his wife. He keeps her a virgin until after Jesus is born. This is significant. The virgin birth is intact. Plus, he also has a normal relationship with his wife afterwards. How do we know? Because Jesus has four brothers and at least two sisters. Right? Plural sisters. So it could have been more than that. He has at least six siblings, two of which write New Testament books, the book of James and the book of Jude. But he's got a normal family, but he does that. And then he names him what? Jesus, he doesn't say, well, we're gonna call him Joseph Jr. JJ, JJ. I mean, we'll put Jesus on a birth certificate, but we'll call him JJ. No, they call him Jesus. Why? Because the angel said so. He obeys, he follows. He doesn't understand it all. 12 years later, when Jesus is in the temple teaching the Pharisees, they're still like, we don't get it. We don't know who, we don't get it. They marvel at it, but they obey. What I want you to see is that there is joy in obedience, which doesn't, it's counterintuitive, I know, because what we think and what I think is that if I do what I want, if I get what I want, if things happen the way I want, then I will have joy. And it's actually the opposite of that, because that's all about me. And ultimately, I can't carry the weight of my own glory. I need someone else to. So what we need to see is that there's joy from following God. And if you don't believe me, listen to Solomon. Solomon says, I'm going to try this. I'm gonna try to make myself happy by doing whatever I want, however I want. And he's about one of the only guys ever to had the resources to do it. So he gets all the women he wants. He gets all the jobs he wants. He builds all the houses he wants. He just, he goes crazy and gives himself everything he wants and it makes him miserable. And at the end, he says, it's all vanity. It's all emptiness. I tried it. It doesn't work. And his conclusion is, here's the one, who's, here's the one who has joy. Right, the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. The one who pleases God, the one who walks with God, that's the person that has joy. Everything else is, is vanity. And if you do that and you give yourself everything you can, it's just gonna end up to the one who pleases God anyway. So go serve God. That's his, that's his conclusion. He's the wisest man who ever lived. And if you need another word, here's, here's what Jesus says. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. And look what the, response, the result is. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full, overflow is the word. How do you have over, overflowing joy? You follow the Father like Jesus followed the Father, right? He's not trying to keep things from you. That's a lie that Satan's been selling since Genesis chapter three. 
God is not for you. God doesn't want you to know what he knows. God wants you, doesn't want you to be like him, Eve, Adam. Eat the fruit. God's keeping the good stuff from you. It is a lie. God is protecting you and he's trying to lead you beside still waters. He's trying to restore your soul. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. And I think, well, if I just had this relationship, we just do what we want. We live immorally. It doesn't matter. It's, just, it's pleasuring. I tell you, that's not where joy is going to be. If I go, get in debt and do this, I get all this stuff, that's where, no, it's not going to be. It's actually gonna have more joy in being generous and giving it away because God don't lie and you can trust him, right? So ask the, and, and, and ask the question today, and we'll close with this. Think about this. 2,000 years later, if you could talk to Joseph today, you can get a you know, cell phone call up to Joseph in heaven. Say, Joseph, was it worth it? I mean, it was hard. Your reputation smashed, you had to move to Egypt, you had to live in obscurity, you had to hide, you never were rich, never had fame. Your name's not even mentioned after this, hardly, in the book, in the Bible. Was it worth it? And Joseph's in one of those unique circumstances, situations in heaven. I mean, think about this. Joseph's in heaven, and he's looking up on the throne where his stepson rules. This is the one he delivered. Remember, Joseph's the only one there to deliver the baby. Joseph's the one who changed his little boy's diaper and when he cried, he, he wiped his tears away when he fell and scraped his knee. Joseph's the one who took him in a shop in an early day and taught him how to, to use the tools and, and to create things from wood that this child created from nothing thousands of years earlier, spoke into existence the wood that now his dad's teaching him to shape. And now he's looking up on the throne and there's his stepson. Do you think all the sacrifices, all the time, all the following was worth it? I can tell you it was. For all eternity, and there's joy and pleasure forevermore at his right hand. And I would encourage us, let's not be gaudate. Gaudate. Gaudet. Let's not miss joy in the forgiveness of sins. Let's not miss it in faith, not fear. Let's not miss it in following and by the lie. And we're gonna have a chance to celebrate and rejoice the way the church has been for 2,000 years in remembering uh, the Lord's